Well, thanks so much for the welcome, um, everybody. So good to be back here. Um, it feels like coming home. Um, we were we were here. Things trying to undo. There we go. Yeah, we did lead this congregation until 2011, when Andrew asked us to go across to Durbanville, and we've been there ten and a half years. And in the last two months, we handed over the congregation to another guy to lead, Kevin. And uh, we've been wearing three hats over the last couple of years. And that is Josh Jen, helping oversee Josh Jen. We oversee most of um, 412 around South Africa and, uh, and, running and leading Durbanville. So we had quite a busy life. So we've only got two hats now, not three. And uh, yeah, we came into Durbanville 10 years ago and... And just saw it, well, tripled in size, you know. The Lord just added people crazily, and we planted so much out of that congregation. We just planted two lead elders out now in the last month, one to Durmville Central, one into Bonnyvale, and we planted a guy into Stellenbosch many years ago, and, and Durmville PM, we planted that one. So we've seen a lot of life and action through Durmville. It's been an amazing journey, and um, we have the highest children to adult ratio in Josh Jen, two to one, got 140 children and 280 adults. Well, that was before all the moves. Now we just sent 30 guys to Durnville Central. So off we go. Um, how many of you were here when I was still leading? Can you just put your hands up? Thanks. Hey, quite a few still. Hey, well done, you guys. Really? No, well done for being so faithful. Nikki Carson's, I think I met when I first joined Josh Jen in 99 when it first started, eh? And, and, and Yaku and Sharon also were there the first meeting in January 1999, so we go back some ways. Uh, I, I, had, uh, I oversaw the building of this project in 2002, this whole place. That's a lot of, and I remember all the bricks from here and the columns that we had to knock down and rebuild, and a lot of memories. It cost two million to build the original building. I think we might be able to buy some toilets for that today. Um, is Wayne here, or has he gone through to the kids? It's normally he works in, I saw him earlier somewhere. Somewhere there, okay. But his testimony was shown today, and I haven't watched it, but um, I'll give you some live testimony of him. And uh, in the early years, he was, I saw the headline, he was a raster and all that, and he was. Um, we used to meet in the labor and furniture hall down here, and one day uh, a police van pulled up outside the hall while we were starting having church like this, and um, someone called me and said, the police are here. I, don't know, I can't remember what they were there for, to invest, check something out. But I said, who's talking to them? They said, no, Wayne. I was like, oh my goodness. We've got an unsafe raster talking to the police, representing us. As long as he doesn't offer them any weed, you know, we're okay. Um, and Jaku van Rensburg called me one day and he said, you know, we, and we discussed how, how Wayne was doing. And I said, I'm not sure if he's saved, eh? So he said, well, Jaku's, I'm about to go and have a meeting with him now. And Yaku phoned about two hours later, Wayne just gave his life to the Lord, you know. And so phenomenal, so exciting. He was part of us for about two years before he got saved. I can't roughly that period. Um, but a good man. And we saw they went to their wedding years ago. Um, how many of you can remember the A-Team, the, the TV series from the 1980s? Anybody? Yeah. So when I was leading here, we called the eldership the A-Team. And we had a, a full was face. Um, Chad, who leads George now, was Mad Murdoch. Um, 
And we had a very big elder. His name was Monet van der Merwe. He used to oversee all our worship. And uh, he was BA. And I was the older guy. What's his name? Hannibal. Yeah. And we had one, guy, one elder left over, so we made him the girl. Um, But Monet Fadamerva, you know, he did, he literally, he was a Stormers rugby player, and he played for the New Zealand team in Wellington, he, he was friends with Joni Lamu, and they won the equivalent of the Curry Cup down there, and Monet was 1,8 meters high, the same height as me, 1,85 I think it is, but he was also 1,85 wide. Um, he was a massive guy, one of the strongest people I've ever met in my life. I've seen amazing story, uh, amazing things that he could do physically. But one day I asked him to preach here, when I was leading, and he got up to preach, and he said, just before I start, I've got to say, I've got to apologize to two people sitting here, because apparently on the way to church, he had a road rage incident with these two guys, and they were visitors. Um, And Monet could get a little bit aggressive. Uh, He was out the window, fist waving at these guys, and gets up to preach, and there they're sitting in front of him. Um... I've got many stories to tell of Monet. Monet, unfortunately, did die at the age of 39 in 2013. He got a brain tumor, and over two years, he, he, he did pass away. But, um, yeah, so I want to just talk about positioning for purpose. And his two sons are like grandchildren to me. I've, I remember sitting at his bedside saying, you know, it's okay, Monet, you can go. You can go, because we'll raise your boys. We'll raise your boys. And we did. And, um, yeah, just the beginning of this year, I had COVID. And, uh, you know, my, the words when I, when I went into the COVID ICU ward, the, the matron, she said to me, welcome to the COVID ward. You are either going to go home to be with Jesus or you might go home. And I, I personally didn't beg for my life. You know, I felt I'd served God at my purpose. I'm in my 60s now. I'd served the Lord now for 41 years. And I... I said, Lord, is there anything on my heart I need to make right before I go? And I, I want to say goodbye <laughs> to my family. I didn't have the strength to do that. So I just made right with the Lord myself, you know, and said, Lord, to search my heart, have I, you know, here I come, type of thing. And I really believe people were praying for me on a, on a mass. I know they were, because I got so many messages of people praying from all sorts of places. And I didn't beg for my life because I... I um, but Monet's son did. He's 16. He phoned me crying. It was like, a, sorry. I'm begging for your life, you know, because his grandfather's dead. And, uh, and I really had a revelation just the other day. Of, I phoned him, and I, well, I left him a message because he's away. And I said, Josh, I believe you may be the reason why I'm still here. I really, but in eternity, I'll find out if I heard God correctly. But I felt the Lord say, he prayed for you. He asked for you to stay. And that's why you're still here. It's a miracle that I'm still here. If you knew my, I had 60% blood oxygen levels, double pneumonia, all that type of stuff. And uh, the, my son's mother-in-law did my x-rays. They saw my x-rays. They shook their heads. They said, this is not going to make it. Um, and I'm, I'm virtually normal, um, except, except I can't remember. Uh, I won't tell you which parts are not normal. Um, it's mostly memory and can't remember people's names and things like that. You can check my own ID every now and again, see who I am. Um, 
But, you know, I think that process was very good that I went through. It just helped me just realize, you know, the, this life and how short it is. I mean, we all know that in theory and concept and principle, but, but really it's, I think God wants to bring revelation to us as a congregation here tonight. Um, I really feel there's, there's something that God wants to do in folks' hearts in terms of bringing them back into position. Um, I feel some people have moved out of position where God wants you to be, and I think God wants to bring realignment tonight and bring you back into his plans and purpose. I really get a sense there's a lot of life here and uh, a lot of unity and feel like there's something special that you guys have got. But I really feel God wants to just accelerate you into another level, take you to new heights in your understanding of him and, and even your actions in him. And I want to just go th- through that t- uh, briefly now. Um, famous preacher's famous last words, briefly. Um, <laughs> And I'm entitled to Positioning Yourself for Purpose. And I'm also, also called AKA, also known as Kevin Story, because Kevin's the guy who took over leading Durbanville for me. Um, so for about four years, I've been preparing Kevin to take over Durbanville. And um, he was a very good, credible 2RC. Many people he's discipled and, and raised up in the Lord are leading congregations now. He was very part of leading uh, Timothy Ministries, very big part of that. And... Um, he was just serving me, and, and uh, I raised him up quite a lot and gave him a lot of profile in terms of doing that, and, uh, because I was away such a lot. And I even prepared him one stage, and at one stage, actually, he initiated, I think, or he um, put into practice planting Dermville PM, and we started in a coffee shop, um, and it just exploded and just grew, and we had to bring it into the main building that we were using, Stellenberg High School in Durbanville. And eventually, I said, I just didn't feel he was on the right guy to lead this thing. He, out of 10, if you want to say 10 factors, he had nine ticked. Very good preacher, wisdom, teachers, you know, he's just, he's just a well-rounded person, incredible guy. There's one little aspect to him that was missing, and that was just a prophetic edge. And to lead a congregation, there's got to be a prophetic edge to you. Not that you get up and prophesy to people one-on-one. It's a different aspect of prophecy. But this is to lead people prophetically. Pick up the heart of God as you're leading God's people. You've got to walk in the front. And um, I spoke to Andrew about it, and Andrew concurred, he agreed. And so I called Kevin in, and I said, Kev, um, I'm going to ask you to step down from leading, and I'm, I'm putting Yaku there, Yaku who's leading now, Kirtmanswap. And uh, so Yaku just had that little X factor, that little edge to him, the prophetic. And so we put Yaku there, and we did really, we saw a lot of growth take place. And so then I worked on Kevin, and you know, every time we were on a meeting like this, Kevin, come here, what would you do now? What do you think God's saying? All the time just stretching him, stretching him in the area of the prophetic, helping him just to stir that aspect up of, in, in his life. And so over the years, he, I just saw it grow, and he became ready, and also it was a, in a situation in terms of his wife um, that she wasn't ready. And you know, you've got to go into this as a team. If the devil will take you out, he will work into any area that you haven't, haven't sorted out and matured and prepared well. And this is something God had to work into her life. She'd had a very difficult uh, past and things that happened to her. She shared about it the, the other day, gave her testimony of things that uh, happened in her life. And God, God we did actually do some deliverance on her. And God did some amazing things in her life, setting her free. And um, so the first, I'm going to. List out five points if we can look at them together. How did Kevin position himself for this? Well, first of all, um, in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1 to 4, did you get the scriptures? Yeah, there we go. So then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. 
I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. Verse 2, it is required those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. So every one of us have been given trust and in, in, in various forms. And, and an exo- obvious one would be um, a marriage. You know, that, they've been entrusted with each other. We're all sons and daughters in the Lord Jesus. And the Lord says, okay, I'm trusting you with one of my daughters. I'm trusting you with one of my sons. And I love them the way I require you according to my word. We've, you've been given a trust in children, if you've been given children, to raise them up because they belong to God. I heard the most amazing... Is that you, Wayne? There we go. He's in the building. I, you know, um, I, I, it was Andrew's previous pastor that, that in church in Port Elizabeth. I remember him saying once, he says his sole purpose is to raise his daughter for her husband. You know, most men are quite selfish. This is my daughter, and they reluctantly give their daughters away on their wedding day. And, and I, we've heard all sorts of stories where some fathers won't even let go of the strings of their, into their daughters' lives. And... Um, but he's, he, he got the godly understanding and concept that the trust he's been given is to raise his daughter for a husband. And likewise, as leaders, the Bible says that we are entrusted with the sheep. We're entrusted to care for them, protect them, feed them, uh, look after them, and, and present them one day to the Lord Jesus. That's what the responsibility of the leaders that they've got. And so Kevin took that trust very seriously, and he worked really hard at, at caring for God's sheep and looking after them and protecting them. And so he, and I'm going to use the word position all the time. He, he positioned himself all the time for that. He, he adjusted his life around that to make sure that that is what he could do and do it well. And as leaders, those many of us yet to not maybe leaders, some of you may aspire to be leaders and be used by God in that area. God wants you to start positioning yourself now, getting ready for that. You can't make someone a leader if they haven't, the most important thing is their character, and if they haven't worked on their character. We know in, in 1 Timothy and Titus, it talks about the qualifications for leadership, for, for elders rather, which actually should apply to all leaders, not just elders. Um, and 13 out of the 14 characteristics are character. There's only one gifting, and that is be able to teach. So I think so many churches have been built around giftings and forgetting about the character. And we've just learned something, um, in, in Jenny and I, when we go around you know, to a lot of different churches, we just done a, a month driving around South Africa, and then we did another little trip now around the Southern Cape as well, three churches there. And we just realized that when we go into churches, they generally come into health. And like we scratched our heads over that, how come? Because my gifting is primarily a pastor. Uh, and Andrew would say, I'm a fivefold pastor, Ephesians 4, fivefold pastor, which means my job is under God, as he, and he, as he enables and anoints and equips all through him, that he works through our lives into, into churches. And we don't even know at the time what we do. But there's an impartation of our life, of, of our obedience to God, and, and having, we've gone through so much in life, we position ourselves all the way through our lives. Now, as I said, Jenny's been saved about 45 years, myself 41 years, um, anybody that enjoy theology, um, Jenny got prayed for by Catholic nuns to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, you're, you're wondering, how does that work? Um, God doesn't recognize, you know, I better not get into trouble with what I say now. Um, he doesn't recognize, sometimes we confine God too much. There was a, a, there was, in those days, there was a breakout amongst the Catholics. 
uh, of getting saved. Their doctrine and, uh, does not, we, we from the Protestant movement, the Reformation movement of Martin Luther, um, but you know, there has been a bit of difference of opinion about, but I'm sidetracking. Um, the point was um, that we position ourselves through life. We, you know, I was in business for 24 years, seven years, and my own business. Uh, um, I worked in the corporate. My last job was, here, was brought, I was brought to Cape Town by Total, the French petroleum company, and the chemical division. I was a factory manager, and um, but we, we've been through. We've lost a house at the age of you know, age of forty. We had to press restart, buy a house from scratch all over again. You know, thanks to family members who went into liquidation and owed us a lot of money and couldn't pay it. So we had to sell our house to pay off, make sure we we, we don't want anyone to suffer because of us financially. And so we came to Cape Town and had to start all over again, um, and God's been good to us. But we've got all sorts of scars and battle scars of raising children, of dealing with church stuff, and, but keep positioning our hearts. Because, you know, my, my 41 years of serving the Lord, I've seen so many people not make it. So many people fall off by the wayside. Even if I look back 10 years when I left here, there's people who've left here and have fallen away. I met with one of them the other day. I phoned him up, I said, just to connect with the guy, and he hates us, for what, one of our main leaders. But he agreed to meet, and you see the, the pain and the hurt in that person, and it doesn't have to be like that. It doesn't have to be like that. There's going to be many reasons that you're going to want to leave church and, and, and split away and tear away relationships and break things off. Many reasons, you'll have tons of them in your lifetime. But you can't allow your heart to go there. You, you've got to position your heart well. And it helps by making a decision now that you'll go through every experience and every trial and tribulation that will come your way. Jesus set his eye on the cross. He, he looked to where he was going. He said, I'm going there. I will make it all the way. I will endure the cross for the sake of us. We're standing here because Jesus had his eye set on where he was going. For the vision set before him, he endured the cross. You've got to have the vision of what, what, what is it all about. You're preparing yourself and positioning yourself right now for eternity. When I finally, when I got breakthrough in myself and lying in ICU and searched my heart and I felt, okay, Lord, um, I'm going to pray for these. I, I, you know, they were so desperate, they put me in a, a lady's ward. In fact, I was in the doorway. They had to make a, a bed for me because they were, they were turning people away at the hospitals. Even that hospital, the main doctor said, no, no, he, he can't come here. Find other hospitals. But thanks to my son's mother-in-law, she got me in. And I prayed for the two ladies who were only young ladies next to me. They both died. But I prayed for their souls, not for their healing, but for their souls. I said, Lord, you've put me in this ward for a reason. I'm praying for these people who are working. I'm praying for this. The whole ward was in a coma. I was the only one who was conscious. I said, Lord, well, I'm, I'm going to pray for these guys. I'm going to pray for them, that you can reach them. Even in this state, they would come to know you. They're about to go into eternity, most of them. We also got the same speech as me when I arrived. Welcome to the COVID ward. You're either going home to be with Jesus or you might go home to your family. Folks, we, we, this life's going to flash by. You're all going to say these words one day. You're gonna, all, you're, when I'll be gone and some of you younger folk, you'll, 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 hear, you'll remember me saying this. It goes so fast. It goes so fast. Even as a young Christian, I thought, no, other people, they're born old, man. I'm, I'm young. That happened, you know. And theoretically, I know I'm going to die. I'm going to go to heaven. But it's not really going to happen, you know. But you've got to live in that tension of, of you're just here, but you, you're going to be there. I've done many funerals for young folk. Young folk. There's people here tonight who know us. Ah, but we walked into your 19-year-old brother lying dead on the bed, the lady here tonight. 
Did his funeral. One of the guys got saved. A big guy. He's still in the church. Going for it for the Lord. The biggest guy in the room. Warren, I think his name is. 19 years old. You just never know, folks. You live in a state of readiness. That's all I'm saying. Position yourself for, for God. Position yourself. Burn for Jesus right now. Tomorrow is too late. Tomorrow to change your lifestyle around is too late. You know, everyone thinks tomorrow's another day. Tomorrow I'll get to that. Tomorrow I'll make right with God. Tomorrow I'll forgive that person. No, it's today is the day. Carpe diem, seize the day. Seize the day. Do it now. Get your lives in order. Your marriage is in order. Kev, Kev positioned himself. He allowed his marriage, allowed to speak into his marriage, every aspect of his life. Because he, he, he handled that trust that he'd been given with kid gloves. He said, Lord, you've given me a trust. How can I position myself? Everything I asked him to do, he did it. Everything. And we're not controlling. And I'm, I'm sort of the last, least controlling person. I can barely control myself. Never mind, Jackson. I self-control the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So number two, Kevin was faithful to the gift that God gave him. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So God will give the manifestation of His Spirit through you, through your life. Some are called to be teachers. Some are called to... Um, the administration, Romans, I think it's Romans 12, it speaks about some of the gifts, and there's other gifts in 1 Corinthians, that we call to walk in and bring our part. So we, Jenny and I, bring our part. When we travel around the country, our part is through a pastoral eye and, and a pastoral lens. So when we go in, that aspect of the church comes into health. There are other aspects that I can't, I'm not an impact gift like Mervis. Mervis is an impact gift. He will come in and when, in one hour, he, it'll take me a year to do but he just brings an aspect of God, the Father heart, the worship side. I can't do what he can do, but he can't do what I can do. He's just not gifted that way. Jesus was the only one who was complete in all the giftings. But the rest, God said he distributed the gifts as he willed. You've got a gift, and God's going to call you to account one day of how you walked in your gifting. And I, and I hope you don't walk in your gifting if your character's fraught. Because you'll hurt people. You'll use it for yourself. And there's an impartation through us as people. You know, sometimes, I don't know if you've seen it, sometimes people get up and they, they're speaking amazingly. They're just wowing us with their understanding and their knowledge, but yet they're, they're cheating the tax man or committing adultery. You know, the restoration of, of, um, of truth, uh, God's restored truth. There's no new truth that God's ever going to introduce. It's, it's all down in Scripture. But, but over the time, God has restored. We know in the 1800s, there was a restoration of water baptism. Early 1900s, Azusa Street Revival, baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Pentecostal movement came out of that. The 1940s, 50s, the charismatic, the renewal of gifts. We saw big names like A.A. Allen. His parents had a sense of humor. His name was Allen, Allen, Allen. Well, they were very forgetful. And, um, and there was William Branham, um, uh, there's a massive names. Catherine Kuhlman. They did incredible miracles, like genuine, the genuine stuff, the real deal. But their characters were terrible. The things, they, 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 their life was shocking, their personal lives, their character. And, you know, that is what is going to be impacted and imparted. And that's why so much damage has been done to the church, because people have been given Ferraris, and they can't drive. They should be driving, you know, like a Toyota Bucky or something. But, and often guys have got these Ferrari keys and they just cause so much damage because they just don't know how to handle the gift because they're not submitted in their lives. That's why you get so many standalone ministries today. You know, the evangelical ministry, the mercy ministry, the healing ministry. The Bible says God, in Ephesians, God wants himself, make himself known through the church. 
He's only got one plan. There's no B plan, C plan. One plan that God has got through his church. Why? Because there's an accountability. There's a multitude of gifting. There's a, every church we see in the Bible, they establish elders. Every church. We were recently, um, we had a major uh, I would call it a success story, if I can use that word, in Pongola Church. Some people say, where's Pongola? It's another country. No, it's a little town just below Swaziland. And we started going there a couple of years ago, and this older man, um, Skulk, who led it. And he's a wonderful godly man. He's my hero. He's one of my heroes forever. And he was, he's, a, he's an elderly man. And eventually we got to the point where we said, Skulk, you haven't built this church properly. It's not based on New Testament principles. You, you, one elder, no deacons, no elders, nothing. Because you need that. Those, that. those guys bring health to the, to the life of the church. That's God's plan. It's his order. He gives wineskins to contain the wine. And, and this, this is a random ministry all over the place. Just people to have Sunday meetings, you know, singing songs, great words. And eventually we got to the place where he convinced him that he, he needed to line up with Scripture. So we went there about a year ago, this time last year. And we had a young guy, Robbie, who's, uh, who's 26 year old. But Robbie was still he was working. He didn't have a lot of uh, theologi- theological understanding, and he wasn't. He was he had enough. He was quite good, but he he had never been to Bible college and things like that. He was a business guy, but he had identified Robbie to lead and take over from him. And so we went up there and we had a meeting with the leaders. And the old God and the new God were not on the same page. There was a bit of uh, friction, to, to say to say the least. And I, the day before, thankfully, we'd spoken to Skulk. So, Skulk, what does God say in terms of this handover? And we left him to pray about it. And that, that, that meeting on a Saturday, it, it got a bit out of shape. And the Skulk just stopped everything. He could stop everything. God spoke to me. So I'm in the way. I'm 79. I've got a handover to Robbie. So the next day, Sunday, we ordained Robbie and his father-in-law and another guy, Yaku, as deacons. So two elders and deacon. And they started transitioning and getting ready. And then Skulk, um, he phoned me after, and I came out of hospital beginning of the year. We had a lot of chats. And then he suddenly collapsed in late February. And he went to a coma for two weeks, and then he died. And they set the 29th of March for him to, on his birthday, Skulk's 80th birthday, they were going to hand over to Robbie. I couldn't get there physically because of my problems with COVID. So I asked Ryan from Benoni Church to go across and ordain, or not ordain, but sit um, Robbie in place. And that church is just the change. As, you know, Skulk picked up. He was in the way. He'd come so far and, and things weren't in order. And you just put godly order in place and you just find life coming to that church. There are people getting saved. It's just like a whole new thing. But Skulk was such a good, I want to really honor him. He's a great man. Um, Skulk was faithful with what he knew, what he understanding, the revelation he had. He was faithful with that, a faithful, godly man. But now Robbie's been given a trust to take this on further. And Robbie's very accountable to, to Gerrit in uh, Richards Bay. They work, Gerrit said, this weekend. And Gerrit phoned me yesterday. He said, can, can I go there every week for a month just to work with the guys and do orientation? I mean, it's 200 k's to drive there one way. But just that, that team, that understanding, laying down your life, it's inconvenient, but let's do this for the kingdom of God. Positioning himself with his gift. Even Gerrit is positioning himself with his gift. So faithful with your gift. So are you being faithful with the gift that God's given you? Are we even aware of what God has given you? Are you just here week after week, year after year, and there's no evidence of what God is using you? We had to help you to find that, to identify and help you and bring you into a place of health with your gifting. That's why we're here. 
to bring every person to a place of health um, of what God's called them to do. We, you know, I, just, I just got like a little fresh revelation the other day of leaders are called, you know, what is the purpose of a leader? It's not to lord it over and to boss people around, but we're called to, to prepare you for the day of judgment. Because Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, you know, obey your leaders because if you don't, that no, won't be helpful for you because the leaders have to give an account for you one day. So Joey's got to get up one day for you guys and God's going to say to him, Joey, tell me about Nadine. Tell me how, she's, how, you, how you from your role, she's got to work out her salvation with fear and trembling. It's up to her. She's got to stand for God for how she responded to God, his word, and, and how she positioned herself. That's her. We can't live your life. Joey can't live Nadine's life for her. He can't, he's, not between, he's not between God and Nadine, but he's got a role to lead her and to guide her, to speak into her life, and she should position herself and say, hey, guys, help me come into more. Help me to live this life that pleases God. The Bible says, find out what pleases God. It's the word of God. So leaders, one day, um, I, I, when I look over you, I think, how can I prepare you, my little part? What, my, what, can I, what role can I play in helping you? So when you stand for Jesus, he says, you're going to all have to give an account for your life. So you stand for Jesus one day, and he's going to say, okay, give me an account for your life. Yeah, honey, you know, tell me how... This is, and it's going to be quite, a, I don't know how it's going to pan out in detail at all. All I know is that you're going to have to do that. And so let's be those who are faithful with what God's given us in every way. I always try and teach guys in terms of finance. You know, finance is such a touchy subject and we all know that. And for years in Joshua, we didn't speak about it because we were so scared of offending people. But we've got to the place where we understand Jesus did speak a lot about finance. We need to be um, Faithful with teaching guys. About, but we're not here to teach you to give, a, give, give the church money. We're here to teach you to be faithful with what God's given you. It's a complete different way of thinking. Kingdom thinking is always different. So when you, again, when you stand for God, God's going to say, well, I, I gave you 10,000 rand a month. I gave you 5,000 rand a month. I gave you 50,000. I gave you a million. What did you do with that money I gave you? It's my money. I'm entrusting it to you. So a lot of people think, well, this is my money, and I'll give some of it back to God. You know, I'm doing God a favor. When actually the Lord says, hey, all that's mine. Everything belongs to me. Everything on this planet belongs to me. Everything. Let's see how good you are if I trust you with my money. Let's see what's in your heart. Let's see what comes out. God says he loves a generous giver. You can't outgive God. So the purpose of teaching you about finance is not to get money out of you. Because I, personally, I don't want to know how much you give. I don't even, never ask people that question. Maybe we should. I don't know. But I think it's between you and God. But I want to teach you God's way. So when you stand there one day, don't turn to me and say, Russell, you, why didn't you tell me this stuff? Why, why don't you help me to stand before God? Now I'm unprepared. I'm, I'm not completely. And we will get judged for the lack of, of the way that we led you guys. If we're too heavy or too soft, you know, we know you're harder than Jesus or softer than Jesus. We've got to find out what does Jesus say in which situation. Okay, let's speed up a bit. Don't, number three, don't grow weary in doing good. Galatians 6 verse 9 to 10. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. So it's one of the things I felt picked up for, for us tonight, and I th- think it might have come through a bit as well. Is there's some folk here who just got weary of doing good, just got weary of working for God, just got weary of getting into the fights. Um, against the enemy, not against each other. And sometimes maybe it has developed in a fight against each other. 
And I'm feeling God saying, no, get, get back in. Get back into the fight. Because we're, we're at war, folks. There's no neutral corner. You know, in boxing and, and fighting like that, I did kickboxing when I was younger. You can go to a neutral corner. But in, in the war that we're in, there's no neutral corner. You cut the enemy will hunt you down no matter where you are. He doesn't care if you give up and say, hey, devil, I'll, I'll leave you alone if you leave me alone. You know, I won't go and do deliverance because some people, people are scared of doing deliverance and taking on the enemy because, hey, then I'm going to come under attack because let's face it, you do. Some of the people folk here have done deliverance with us over the years and they know that you get into the fight, the enemy's going to have a go at you. He wants to, he wants to discourage you and say, oh, you want to take me on? Let's see. And folks, we've got, to, we've got to know that greater is he that's in us and he that's in the world. We've got to know the power that we walk in. The, devil, the demons tremble at the name of Jesus. And he, wants, he, gets, he ends up getting us to tremble at his name and his actions and his things. You know, well, don't go there. It's too demonic. No, I want to go there. I want to get in there where it's, where it's dirty, you know, where it's hard, where the, where the demons are. Because they're scared of us. It's not the other way around. I remember reading about this one Satanist, and we shouldn't draw a lot of information from Satanists, but he said he could not believe when he was a Satanist how scared Christians were of, of the devil. He said, we were scared of you, Oaks. And you guys were scared of us. We couldn't get a mountain. We, we knew we, we could sense the power of God. And, and there was something about it. We were terrified. Number four, heart attitude. Uh, Acts 13, 22. Um, David's always quoted, after removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Are you a man after God's own heart or a woman after God's own heart that he will do everything that he asks and requests you to do? Or are you conditional in your walk with God? Is it a, is it a gospel of convenience for us? And sometimes even as born-again Christians, we think, no, we, we, we're sort of hotter than the rest of the Christians, you know, the, the denominations and things like that, and we, we got the extra edge. But we can get into a, a, a ritualistic, charismatic, evangelical, Pentecostal way. I think we're a combination of all those three. And actually, we think we're cooking for God, but maybe we're not. That's why it's good to go before the Lord sometimes. Lord, here, is, here am I. Where do you want me? How do you want to position me? Go to those who God's entrusted you to, to lead you and shepherd you and say, how am I doing in the Lord? Speak the truth, man. Speak the truth in love. Tell me how I'm doing. Don't hold back. Because sometimes, we, you know, as leaders, we, we don't know how far we can go and speak to you. You know, guys say they're accountable, and often they, they, their version of accountability, they just tell us and, and inform us of what they're going to do as opposed to getting perspective. You know, when we... When we came to Cape Town, 97, we went to the elders. had been given this job opportunity to Cape Town, and I had another job opportunity in Durban. Which one? And they felt, no, it's time that you guys... We've only been in two churches in our life, one in Durban and one in Cape Town, this one, in 40 years. Because I want to be faithful. I want to work through my issues. It's, it's, I can walk... I can find lots of things that we do wrong. I can find... I have issues with a lot of people based on... All sorts of things, personality, character, gifting, clashing. And there will be, you know, even the top guys in the, in the Bible, uh, Paul and Barnabas, who we would consider major heroes in today's terms, they had a big fight and actually split apart. So these things can happen. There can be disagreement amongst us. There can be disillusionment amongst us. But how, the key is, how do we handle it? I always ask people, so where does God want you? And I think the most common thing we hear is my, my season is up. 
So I, I always wonder, is, is God protecting us from you? Or you've been protecting from us? You know, is God getting you up because we're dangerous? We're going to hurt you? We're, we're just are, are going the wrong direction? Was he removing you because actually you're a problem and you're going to cause a problem in the future? Can't we, you know, this is, God says, well done, good and faithful servant. How many marriages, you know, for, and, and look, there's forgiveness. If you've divorced, you've been divorced, remarried, whatever state you're in right now, there's massive forgiveness in God. But let's fight for our marriages. Let's fight for our relationships, even with each other. Fight for those. The Bible says strive for unity. We hate hearing the word strive because all just by grace. I'm saved by grace, not works. But within salvation, there's a striving for unity. There's a striving to get lay hold of what God's laid hold of us for. He's calling us into so much. But if you don't position yourself for the purpose of God, he can't use you. You'll be wondering why. I had a man grab me in the parking lot outside here about a good 10 years ago. And he said, you and Andrew have wasted 10 years of my life. He said, you didn't, you didn't recognize the leadership call on my life. Sheesh, I thought that myself, I was thinking, that it's a good thing we didn't recognize anything on you. But I said to him, you know what? Who's Andrew? Who's Russell? Really, if God wants to raise you up, he'll brush us aside. Because we blame men. Say, so you, you're the reason why I'm not getting used in this church. I'm going to go and find another church who will use me in my gifting. And I've seen that. And we think, oh, my Lord, please, don't use that man. Don't use that woman. They're going to hurt your church because they won't deal with character issues. It's the, some, there's amazing giftings out there that God's given people. Amazing giftings. And we see that, you know, we look in the front on the outwards. God, God says, you judge by the outward, I judge by the heart. And guys often use their gifting for their own selfish reasoning sometimes it is bad leadership sometimes the church haven't handled and, and um, helped people in their expectations well sometimes it is down to poor leadership that's why Paul referred to himself as a master builder a skilled builder of the kingdom of God and that's my ambition in this life is to be a skilled builder in the hands of God so even in your, every aspect of, life, of ministry that God's calling you into whatever it is worship Actually, we all worship as aren't we? They're the musicians, uh, the admin guy, the people making coffee. Be the most skilled builder in that area that God's called you. If you're faithful or small, God won't trust you with the much. Don't bypass what God wants to do because I've seen too much shipwreck. Guys who've planted churches, not even in a ministry, not even believing in God anymore. I've seen that because they wouldn't deal with character issues, wouldn't deal with the foundations. Sometimes we bypass the foundations. And as Jenny once said, sometimes people repeat year one of their Christian walk 20 times, 30 times, 40 times. They get older and grayer and they think I'm a mature believer. You know, don't speak to me like this and, and, why, and, and ask all these questions. But all they've done is go around the mountain. God says, no, go up the mountain. And I don't hit a, hit a test. Don't want to pass it. Go to another church. Go around the mountain. You know, skip that. I've got Scottish... Um, ancestry, grandparents and stuff. The Scots are specialists in unforgiveness. We specialize in it. And I can remember as a young man before I got saved that if you rubbed me up the wrong way, I'd cut you out of my life. I would walk past you and ignore you completely. I'd, my old aunts, if they had a fight, they wouldn't talk to each other for like years. You know, they, I had a friend who planted a church in Dunblane in Scotland and um, they did a marriage course and they got the part on forgiveness. No one forgive each other to cancel the course. You know. (laughs) 
So people are tested. You're all going to get tested. You can't avoid it. You can't get away from it. You will be tested. Heart attitude. How will you, does God, will you be like David? Do anything that God wants. And the last one, um, Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 10. Do you understand this is your life and this is the calling upon your life? For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So even before you were saved, God had a plan for your life. He had it. He, he dreamt over you. He knew about you. He knew where you would live. He knew what, what culture you would be. And he's got a plan for you. But see, unfortunately, Western church is very individualistic. It's very, and a lot of you see the Western churches, it's about my ministry. So how, what about my ministry? You know? Whereas the, the Israeli, the Jewish understanding when God was at it's us. I'm just part of. In fact, Africa was probably a better representation of kingdom living than any other people on this planet. They Ubuntu, I am because you are. It's a good, I think, a good biblical understanding of life. African people share everything. They, 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 they exist as a, as a group. Where Western people are very selfish and it's my little house, self-governing, and what's in this for me and my ministry, and as opposed to here I am, I'm just part of you. I'm just part of a body of Christ. We're a body. We, we, we're the good works that God created in every one of us. How much of this church has not been effective because there's people here who are not walking in what God called them to walk in? Because I think this is a great congregation. But what if God's called for even more and you're not, achieving, you're not walking, not for us and our glory and numbers and all that type of thing, but for His glory? Because we want this place packed with people because they're getting born again and saved into the kingdom of God and lives are being transformed, becoming disciples. That should be our dream. We should dream of this place packed, people climbing through windows trying to get in here. They had a play once up in Peter Marisburg years ago and God did something supernatural. It was called... Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. And they did this play. Literally, they had to, the police had to come down there and coordinate the traffic. They just had to keep that, because the guys were literally pushing through windows to get in. There was just a presence of God. People were getting born again and saved. There's something supernatural that took place in that moment, because God spoke to them to do that. Other people tried to copy it, and it didn't work. You can't copy what God's doing. He's a creative God. You've got to find the heart of God for within the context of the bigger church, of Josh Jen, because God's called us. But within the life of this church, you guys have got to say, Lord, what, what do we do? And we can't just have little programs, and, but Lord, is there something we can seek your face? Something we can, we can t- reach out to people, draw people? The presence of God will just attract people. The presence of God is so attractive, it draws people. Are we attractive? Are we running on half, half speed here? Are just half of us really there, operating in what God called us and the works that he called us to do? Why are we all doing it? I don't know. But you know. You know in your heart where you're at in God right now. You know where you should be and could be. You know the things that you might have to work on. Or you maybe need some outside intervention where God can just come and speak into your life and help you to understand what things that you can work on. Because God's looking for a people of his own heart to position themselves. Lord, here am I. You know, even as I led a congregation, I was always scoping ahead. Always, always, Lord... Down the road. We don't need elders for today. I'd rather have 20 elders, because why? Some are going to stay or some are going to go. We want to plant guys out. We're not just having, raising up elders just for 
200 people. We're raising up elders for the thousands that we're expecting. We'll do our part. We'll prepare. We'll get ready. We'll equip. We'll get the word in us, lives that align up with the word of God, lives that are pleasing to God. So, Lord, when you add people, we can handle it. In Durbanville, one stage, we had, a, we had to get rid of, we had to ask our, our own guys, not the, new, not the visitors, obviously, um, but we'd have to send people out to create room in the, in the room because the room could take 300 adults. And we had to send out a, com, a couple of comms every week to, to go somewhere else. Just, well, number one, just to go and help those guys and be a, just a support, but to create space. The hall was full. We, we just didn't know how to cope with all the people. So let's stand. In the Spanish Civil War, 1937, 1938, um, there were two armies fighting, and the one army had surrounded Madrid, and uh, the chief of that, that, uh, those guys, he asked the general on the ground, how are, we, how are we doing in capturing Madrid? And um, he said, well, I've got four armies positioned outside Madrid. But he says, the fifth column that I've got that's inside, that's going to do all the damage. They're the ones who will break Madrid down through morale, chaos, and my other four armies can then come in. That's why we get, the, we get a saying, it's called the fifth column. They use it in political terms a lot these days. And almost I feel like in some ways there's a fifth column inside of us. It's breaking us down, our own thoughts, our own attitudes, our own, you know, if, if you knew who I was, you would view me differently. That's the enemy talking. They say 70, 70% of people feel they're going to get caught out in their jobs one day, that they're a phony, that they don't know what they're doing. And I feel that one that comes into the kingdom as well, where the enemy comes from within. And you start believing the thoughts against you. And, and what the devil said over you. You'll never get breakthrough in your marriage. You'll never get breakthrough in your personal life, your finances, the way you do things, character issues. Words have been spoken over you sometimes when you're very young, and the last, those words can last a lifetime and really impact you. And you never walk in the full purpose of God for your life. And I believe tonight that God wants to break that over many. He wants to set people free tonight, to walk in the purpose of God. And I'm trusting that you'll open your hearts because God won't force his way in. You've got to open the door. Open the door and allow God to come in and shift and change you. Some of us need to go and see people and say, I need help. Just, I need someone just to lead me into more. I'm not getting breakthrough. I'm going around the same mountain over and over. Won't you help me? Can I trust you? Trust is a very precious thing at the moment. People don't trust Choose to trust. 1 Corinthians 30 says, love always trusts. You, some of you, trust has been broken. You don't know if you can trust the leaders here. You don't know if you sit, you're here because it's the right thing to do and to be a Christian and go to home group. and You're going through the motions, but you've lost trust. You're not sure if you can really follow. I believe God wants to address that as well and bring healing to you.